No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. And today we are discussing album number 19 on Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 album list. This is To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. couple of episodes ago we talked about Kanye West's um, iconic album My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and we had a guest on that episode uh, my friend Daryl Foster joined us and Daryl was kind enough to return um, we don't get to say that too often we haven't had that many double guests on so um, <laughs> this is really exciting Daryl I maybe because we we just finished editing that one together but I've been thinking a lot about this the conversation we had especially the sort of the way we set the table with the conversation about language and how that plays a role in hip-hop and a lot of those things are spinning through my mind as we begin our conversation around Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly so I'm just wanted to say thank you for that again and, and glad you're here for another time around. Uh, thanks guys so much, Mr. Mike, Mr. Ben. I appreciate you guys having me back. Um, when you guys actually asked me the first time, yeah, the you know the first time to do the Kanye one, I was super excited. But then when you asked me to do the to type of butterfly one, I think for me that got me a little bit, well, not even a little bit, a lot more excited because I've actually listened to that album like <laughs> <laughs> since actually like since you like yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite albums. But since you, like since I like learned of, like since you guys told me about it, I was like. Oh yeah, let me go back and re-listen to this album. <laughs> I think that uh, I think you actually said yes to the Kendrick Lamar album first, and we kind of slipped Kanye in there as well, right? So we uh, <laughs> we've gone out of order here a little bit based on your initial response. So I'm really glad we finally got here, and uh, I'm sure we've got lots to talk about. Um, boy, j- there's just so much churning through my mind that that we've got to to try and tackle here tonight. So um, why don't we dive right into some details, Mike, and we'll get to uh, the content of the album faster that way. I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Details, 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 details. So this album was released March 15th, 2015. It was Kendrick Lamar's third studio album. He wrote it primary. He's the primary author, songwriter, composer on on all the tracks, and has a bunch of co credits as well. As we see with a lot of this, we saw that with Kanye. He's he's pretty much the number one guy, but a lot of people have credit co credits as well. Uh, this charted very well when it came out. Went number one in the U.S., U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, and charted well in many other countries such as France, Japan. It has sold more than a million copies worldwide probably closer to two uh it's certified platinum in the u.s which is a million right ben i always get that wrong i think that's correct yeah yeah platinum is a million and i think diamond is you have to sell like 10 million copies or something like that yeah yeah because it's they're different in canada and the u.s so i always confuse them (laughs) originally this was going to be called to pimp a caterpillar and two spelled t-u and then if you put the first uh, letters of those words together it spells uh, Tupac as an 
an homage to uh, Tupac Shakur. Um, and it was a high-profile production uh, with dozens of producers, including uh, you got Dr. Dre, got Pharrell on there. Um, lots of guest appearances. Again, we saw it. We've seen this with a couple other. We also um, Lauren Hill. Got a lot of big names coming in. Thundercat, George Clinton, Bilal, Anna Wise, Snoop Dogg, uh, Isley Brothers, Rhapsody. Lots of people joining in. The album received seven nominations at the 2016 Grammy Awards, including a win for Best Rap Album and a nomination for Album of the Year. And I'll interject just one thing here. I think he got nominated for two other things that were not connected to this project. And he, uh, I think that night made him the most single nominated person on a single Grammys ever. Um, so it was one, one Grammy, one year, one Grammy uh, night. Uh, he had more nominations than anyone ever had before. Right. Yeah, probably only broken by uh, Billie Eilish this year or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's changed. And I'll just read this real quick. During an interview with Billboard, Kendrick Lamar shared that between the releases of Good Kid Mad City and this album, To Pimp a Butterfly, he traveled to South Africa, visiting historic sites such as Nelson Mandela's jail cell on Robben Island, and this heavily influenced the direction of the record and led to Lamar scrapping two or three albums worth of material. <laughs> so there's just a few just a few notes there. We won't dig too much in it. I think there's a lot we could say. I've been to South Africa, and I can say without a doubt, it's uh, when I visited, I, to an extent, I definitely understand what Kendrick Lamar went through in terms of mm-hmm. like that whole spiritual shift he probably felt as a result of you know visiting south africa Um, it's a different kind of uh i guess feeling being in the motherland it makes you definitely i guess understand the context of how you exist a little bit more wow there's this piece of um like robin island specifically that i remember uh cape town is definitely one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world but there he was, uh, Nelson Mandela, um, a prisoner on this island that's close enough that you can see paradise, but you're enslaved. And like I, that sticks in my head a lot, like this, like being able to glimpse the promised land, but but knowing that you are going nowhere, that you're surrounded by shark infested waters, that you are like uh, a captive of the, the powerful white man. And I think, I think especially um, like you said, Daryl, if you are African American, like standing there um, must just like be be uh, otherworldly to to be reminded of the stories and the way that, that race has been weaponized um, throughout human history. Being an African American, it uh, it puts into context about where you are from. I mean, obviously, South Africa is not, you know, the end-all, be-all to Africa because there's so many mm-hmm. other places in Africa. But yeah. I guess being on the continent itself and, you know, having that feeling of being like, you know, this is this is home. Like, this is where uh, this is where people who look like me in America uh, are, are from. I mean, this is where everybody is from. You know, mm-hmm. this is where the this is the cradle of life. This is where life came from is this this continent. And um, I think for me, it, it holds a significance in the result that, you know, a lot of African-Americans can't trace their ancestry back. Um, Mm -hmm. If you were to ask an African-American, you know, where you're from, like, what tribe are you from in Africa? Like, you know, like, where did your people come from? They couldn't tell you. Like, I can't tell you. Um, Right. 
you know, and I think that uh, being in Africa as a whole definitely put the context of which like you should try to figure out for me, at least it was like you should try to figure out where you're from, um, where your family came from and where, you know, your gene- genealogical line uh, stems from. Um, and I think for a lot of African-Americans, me personally, I think that, you know, I tell, you know, I tell black people all the time, you know, whenever I talking about traveling and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, visit the motherland, like go home, like go back to Africa, like go visit Africa, like one time, mm-hmm. just, you know, you know, you know, you don't go nowhere else in the world. If you never visit another place, like go visit Africa and just get that feeling of like, you know, like understanding, like this is where you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where, our people in the states came from like every single black person regardless of what you identify as um can in america can probably trace their roots back if not to somewhere else you know africa um your if you have lived if your family has lived here for generations you know then you know for a fact that somewhere down along the line like somebody was taken uh from africa and was brought over to the states um and that's probably a part of your family um, and I implore people to just go to the motherland and just feel the soil, feel just how it feels to be like home, I guess. Because, mm-hmm. you know, white people can, you know, and, and, a, and a lot of other races as well, you know, whether you're white or whether you're um, Hispanic or, you know, uh, I don't know anything of any, any I'm Native American even, um, you know, you can kind of trace your lineages back. Uh, you can tell people like, you know, if you're a white guy in america you can be like oh yeah i'm x y and z irish uh because mm-hmm. my great great blah 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 grandfather was you know from ireland or you know oh my great 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 grandmother was from you know germany or something i don't know any yeah. of any anything yeah. of any which matter but like i said before you know you act a black person you know where are you from like you know they'll tell you something like oh, i'm from chicago you know? no no no, mm-hmm. no like where are you where's your family from like where do you originate from i can't tell you, you know, i can't tell you what tribe uh right you know that that part of my family came from um and you know i just like i said uh visiting the motherland definitely put things in the perspective for me to to try to understand better about where it is that i'm from wow we could see it had a profound impact on you and sure obviously a profound impact on kendrick lamar helping him pen these verses <laughs> and create this yeah, music yeah, for sure. i want to talk about this cover art this album art because this is a pretty profound image um it to me there's a lot going on i'll just you know again go google this to pimp a butterfly album cover so on the front uh kendrick lamar is right in the middle he's holding a, a baby i think that's him right in the middle and he's got a lot of people and i read that these are all like they're all they're all uh, black men and and boys um and they're all people friends and family all people that he knows that he got together I'm pretty confident, and correct if I'm wrong, that the, that they're superimposed in front of the White House. I don't think they actually physically went there. Yeah. And then, and they're all hold. Most of them are holding stacks of cash. Some of them bottles. Um, and there's a a man, an, an older white man, laying on the ground in front of him on the side with X's on his eyes. He's only a gavel. And I watched an interview, and uh, he was asked, "Who's that?" And he said, "Well, that's the judge, because the the justice system is broken." Uh, and he's la- he's laid out on the ground, so I mean, there's a lot there's lots happening, um, <laughs> and and it's interesting. Uh, I want to hear from you, Daryl. What is this? Uh, what do you think when you first saw it? You know what? How, what was your reaction to it? Um, 
and anything else you want to say about it oh man um so the cover for starters um so the first time i ever saw the cover um i actually thought that the white man i didn't know that there was a judge and he i mean i knew that he was talking about the justice system but right. my first uh instinct when i first saw the cover was i thought that was richard nixon um yeah, it kind of does look like it looks like it? richard nixon um and to <laughs> yeah. me i thought that that made sense that it would be richard nixon on an album called to pimp a butterfly because um richard nixon started the war on drugs ronald reagan escalated uh, it obviously yeah, but man. a lot of people don't know that richard nixon started it in the latter That's part right. of his uh his presidency before uh, the Watergate scandal. So before he was impeached or whatever, or before he resigned, I, I'm, you know, I don't remember. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter because he got kicked out of office. But um, yeah. At first, my first thought was it's got to be Richard Nixon, um, because the pimple butterfly in my mind means, you know, as he explained, you know, as he kind of hints in the album, oftentimes uh, the aspect of utilizing capitalism as a mechanism to keep people kind of at a subjugated level. For me, uh, my first instinct with it being Richard Nixon and the war on drugs was because the United States government used the war on drugs to kind of funnel money into proxy wars around the, wor around the world. Um, the crack epidemic helped pay for freedom fighters in Afghanistan fighting against the Russians during the 80s, just like it also helped, um, you know, fund like other different kinds of like, um, you know, police actions around the world that like, you know, that you don't really know about, um, particularly in things like, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan wanted to escalate, uh, you know, the military industrial complex and the arms race against the Russians, you know, during the Cold War and shit like that. And um, for me, I feel like that was important because the war on drugs and just the crack epidemic as a whole, you can still feel the after effects of those things today. To me, as a black man, the U.S. government used drugs that they pushed onto black people as a whole because they weren't pushing them on everybody else. They really weren't, you know, they weren't, you know, you weren't selling crack in the suburbs. You know, um, you were only selling crack in the hood uh, and you were only selling it and you were only selling it to black people. Um, and I felt that this was important for me as a black man to understand because this album cover shows that the like these black men are being unequivocally black, but they are at the pinnacle of what generally most people in society would kind of consider successful you know you, you get you become president of the united states before the past few years obviously <laughs> <laughs> you had to have been like you know you had to have had some kind of qualifications you had to you know people had to have legitimately <laughs> like you know wanted to support you but that's that that is a whole different topic in itself and you know we're not gonna go like we're gonna stay to the album <laughs> um for me i felt as though the album cover made me even want to be more unequivocally black as black as i possibly can because it showed that regardless of what kind of uh things that we have been through regards of what kind of trauma we've been put through you know at the end of the day we we're going to be all right you know we're gonna get where we need to go to um you know and that's a homage to one of the songs on the on the album itself which is funny to use that terminology but um <laughs> i uh i love this album artwork um it is, it's probably even more so than Kanye's album artwork. It's probably like one of my favorite album covers of all time, just because it, it shows just the, the most black parts of being a black person. And it, <laughs> it makes it look enjoyable and not so, um, you know, not so traumatic to be a black person sometimes, you know, obviously mm -hmm. we go through a lot of stuff as, you know, as a race, as a whole, um, African-Americans in, in general. Um, but I feel like this album cover 
made me want to be even more black, especially since I was at Penn State when this album came out. Like, it was crazy thinking that, like, this album came out and I'm at this school that is, what, 60% white, 65% white, something like that, something along those. I'd have to look up the I think statistics. It's even higher I don't know that. off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but I think at the time when I was there, I think it was like 64% white. And I think like six, like 50 something percent of that 64% of white folks were all like white males. And in my head, being a black person at a, in a place where you are like, you are still looked at kind of funny. Like there are people who have never seen a black person in their life at this school. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It made me more proud to be black. It made me more excited to indulge in blackness and wanting to be around black people and just being around in a setting where I felt like I could be as unequivocally myself as I wanted to be, um, no matter what. I felt like I didn't have to continue the facade because I felt like, you know, like, yeah, you can be black in those settings, but to a degree, you also kind of have to tone down things sometimes. Like, you can't always just be, you know, the blackest that you can possibly be. You know, I couldn't be, I couldn't be super black Daryl in, you know, certain classes because I'm the only black person in one of my, in like, in certain classes. Like, I'm the only one there and, you know, something comes up that's related to black people, people might turn around and look at you. And this wasn't just in like college, this was in like high school too. You know, there were certain classes where like, I might be maybe like one of like four or five black people in this class. And like, those are like my IB classes. Um, you know, those those upper level classes that uh, they make you take to make, that make you, that make, that look good on a college transcript so that way you can get into more schools and stuff like that. Being that this album came out at a time when you just wanted to just be as black as possible, it made me, happier to be a black person in America um, despite all of the things that may go on and despite all the things that may represent a um, detriment to me uh, especially at this time when you know police shootings are, are getting a lot more widespread um, viewage like there's there's videos coming out of police shooting people you know there's 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 thought pieces being done on police brutality like where did it all come from and things of that nature and it's like for me, this album cover represented like all that stuff that you guys were talking about has, you know, in the media that you guys never wanted to talk about. It's been existed for me. It's been existed for the people who look like me, you know. Um, my dad, would tell, like, for example, I tell, like, my dad used to tell me him growing up in Detroit, like he got stopped by like the police, like on multiple occasions just for walking down the street. You know, he had, a, I, forget, I forget what the unit was called in his, uh, in the city of Detroit at the time, but he was telling me like, you know, there were times where him and his brothers uh, would get stopped and they'd get harassed by these police officers who were, who were just doing it just to do it. And mm. it's not a matter of like whether it was white police officers because it wasn't always white police officers, it was black police officers too. It was a matter of like the justice system as a whole is broken. Um, and it's broken against everybody. It's not just, bo- and it's very broken against African-Americans obviously. But um, the justice system does not look out for people who are not rich. Um, and I think that this and getting away from everything else, like I think that this album cover kind of solidified that aspect of like Kendrick Lamar said, the justice system is broken. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that it empowered me as a black person to want to be more black, regardless of how other people interpret it. Because at the end of the day, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, as a black person in America, you are always going to be a target. Um, And I think that that's the big takeaway that I want to give about the cover of the album. Uh, at least for right now. I'm pretty sure I'll probably come back to it later. <laughs> yeah, I think that the cover album made me feel empowered to be more black and made me empower- feel more empowered to be 
you know, content in my blackness. Hmm. You know, I looked at this album cover before I listened to it, and then I listened to the lyrics, and it talks about a lot of really difficult stuff, which we'll get into, um, and some kind of de- disparaging situations and times. And a, for a few times, I didn't think about it too hard and thought, yeah, you know, it's really been bad with, you know, in this Trump administration and the racial tensions just getting higher and higher. And then I went, oh, hold on, wait a sec. He wrote that this came out in 2015. <laughs> yeah. This was in like seven years into the Obama administration, you know, and, and it was a great reminder for me. Like it wasn't like we're looking at this picture thinking all oh, the good old days when we had a black man in the president in the white house, um, you know, the things were still really, really tough. Like the, the system has been like that for a long time. And these issues didn't just start four years ago. And I think sometimes people forget that, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, it's been way worse in the last four years. And I, and I'm speak I like, listen, I'm far, I know I'm far removed from this <laughs> where I live and who I am. It was a good reminder for me that, Things are rough now, but there's this is this is deep deeply rooted throughout the years, and uh, that was both kind of enlightening and also a little sad at yeah. the same time. What this image does so well is what the album does so well is in that if you if you look very quickly, you can dismiss it as like another another example of hip hop culture flaunting wealth. Um, mm. or, or flaunting the party scene, um, but I think what you what you were getting at there, Daryl, it was like the there's a um, a joy and a like fullness of life that um, that comes up if you hang with it and if you look a little closer, um, and there's like a, like a, about a dozen other layers of meaning there too that uh, you know where they're standing. Um, I think Kendrick talks about like wanting, you know, the idea was wanting to take his neighborhood to places they would never go, uh, including somewhere like the White House. The judge, uh, you know, as a symbol of broken justice system. And and I think he mentions as well, like these are people who are uh, a product of their environment, not terrible people or something like that, too. Right. And so, yeah, like... Uh, I think my initial impulse when I saw this cover for the first time was like, what is going on here? And what is this going to teach me? And I don't even know what I'm seeing. And then, you know, the more I looked at it, like, oh, okay, that's there. Yeah, that's there too. Um, boy, this is going to be an interesting journey. And I think I, I, it just represents the album so well um, uh, from a from a sort of cover standpoint. We've reviewed dozens of albums where the cover feels very disconnected from the album and we've reviewed others that you know you just want to give a round of applause to whoever came up with it because it fits <laughs> yeah. so well yeah this is one of those for sure yeah i think especially with the subject material that he tackles within the context of the of the, of the album itself i think yeah. that uh, they're definitely very 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 uh relatable mm-hmm. ideas for sure can we talk about the music now <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I want I want to start here if if you guys don't mind. So I mean, Ben, you and I are in the same boat. This was brand new, and for me, yeah. like I had no idea it was. And that's and and Daryl, just so you know, this is exciting for me. Whenever I get to music, and I have 
no idea what I'm going to hear. Uh, I don't listen to hip hop. I don't listen to rap. Uh, just a little bit. Pushing play the first time, I was like, "What's going to happen?" <laughs> and then, and then my brain exploded. <laughs> um, but, but I want to start in this way, Daryl. When we had you on a few episodes ago, talking about uh, Kanye West, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, we kicked off the episode, and we we wanted to get your take on the use of the N word in in that album in rap music in general and that's going to be a theme again here and we did talk about that and we really appreciate you know uh your thoughts on that and your insight and it really helped me uh engage it in a different way of course that that follows on this album as well but i wanted to ask something i didn't ask last time and that's along with that there's a lot of the, cur- the cursing doesn't bother. There's a lot of cursing, and that doesn't bother me as much. But there's a lot of vulgarity, sexually explicit language, um, which is something that in most of my listening experience, I don't listen to. So along with, we talked about the use of the N-word, and now it's kind of the a lot of cursing, but a loss of a very sexually explicit language, vulgar language, um, made me at first a little uncomfortable. Um, but then hearing this music and Kanye's music, and I would assume a lot of, of rap and hip hop music. That's also another common theme in in the style of language that's used. And I'm wondering if you, I'm putting you on the spot here, and you can say no, but if you'd be willing to share your thoughts on that, the use of that kind of vulgar, sexually explicit language in this genre of music, in this type of hip hop, uh, why do you think it's uh, it's there so frequently? Why do you think it's important? Uh, to the genre if you do think it's important and kind of how do we how do we engage it especially as someone who who doesn't listen to that type of talk very often yeah no i i would absolutely love to tackle this let's go ahead and uh let's do it (laughs) (laughs) like ben and i talked about this like rock and roll has it a bit and like but sometimes it's like you know it's it's kind of tongue-in-cheek and it's like they're trying to be sneaky about it like you know i think for me the best uh what do you do, Ben? You said like uh, sweet cherry pie, you know, something like that. Yeah. Or, you or shook me all uh, night long. you shook me all night long. She was a fast machine. She kept her motor clean. You, she told me to come, but I was already there. You know, like stuff like that. It's like it. It's subtle enough, <laughs> but this is like in your face. This is right in your face. Like you know, it's right there. So yeah. Anyways, uh, go for it. All right. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Uh, I think that like we discussed. Uh, somewhat um a few uh in the last episode i think that language is supposed to elicit a feeling right so i think that with rap and hip-hop i think that the vulgarity and the usage of really like whoa kind of shock value language is a necessity because it elicits a certain kind of response from people for example you know you're kind of like oh like you know oh goodness like that's a you know like that's a lot but um I think that it's supposed to elicit a response. I think it's supposed to elicit a feeling. I think that it's supposed to um, free the aspect of language as a whole. Because if you think about it, right, you can say curse words, but you can't say the N word. Like you can, like you know, they'll right. say, like they they, they 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 do it on TV, for example, right? Like if you watch a uh, TNT, right? Sometimes that they'll play Saving Private Ryan, and it's one of the only movies that they'll play where they'll say the F word and the S word, willy nilly, no problem. But in that same mm-hmm. breath, 
if you were to if you go on certain if you go on certain you know like if you were to go on the media right if you were to go to like the news they won't say like you know they may like you might hear the f the f bomb or the you know you know shit you can edit that out um you might hear that drop but they will never refer to the n-word as its full name um i think that with hip rap and hip-hop it is a co-mingling of shock value language and real linguistics used as a mechanism to try to elicit certain responses from people. Um, either you're going to feel it and you're going to understand why it's being used, or you may or may not be uncomfortable and kind of like, ooh, like, I don't like this. Now, in reference to this album, I think that the sexually explicit nature of some of the lyrics is a mechanism to kind of allow a sexual freedom for like Black people that were not necessarily attributed. Um, I think that a lot of times black people's bodies are policed. I think that they are put in a box and tried to keep in a box so that way they can't break out of that box and it keeps black people kind of at a level where they can't expand past that. But I think that in terms of this album, I think that Kendrick Lamar attempted to explore sexuality on a scale that a lot of people aren't used to. I think he uses a lot of the sexually explicit language to kind of explore real life scenarios that you know happened for example um like with the like in the rap world right so like one of the lyrics he makes in these walls um is talking about a woman who's having sex with her favorite rapper while her i guess her baby daddy's locked up right so for me like i understand these lyrics and why they're so sexually explicit because they happen often within the rap world um in the context of that things like that do happen uh and that is another big aspect of the album is the sexual references, as you mentioned, um, which serve kind of as a shock value piece along with the other language used in the album as a mechanism to kind of bring to light issues that most people wouldn't think about, um, mm. like Black people's bodies being policed and police brutality and depression and institutional racism and the after effects of the capitalistic slave trade that existed as a result um of europeans you know colonizing the world and bringing over black people forcibly removing black people from africa to um the united states and other parts of the world as a whole um to create empires that still exist today um the united states itself is one of those good examples right it's the most we are the most powerful nation on the face of the earth and our entire foundation was built on the backs of slaves um as much as people want to think that it wasn't in the grand scheme of things, it was because the tobacco industry was huge and cotton was huge and there weren't enough Europeans to who were willing to to do that to do that manual labor. So what did they do? They brought over roughly four to five million African Americans between the beginning of America in the sixteen hundreds, the first finding of the colonies, to the 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 eventual uh, elimination of slavery. But the shift from, you know, chattel slavery, the shift from you are a property, you are a, you are owned, you are not a physical human being, you do not exist, you do not, like, there is nothing about you that represents you as a human being. It's the aspect of, okay, you're going to be viewed as a human being, but we're going to make sure that you are as close to a slave as you possibly can be. Um, I think that a lot of the language is used to explore not just sexuality amongst black people today but also like sexuality amongst black people uh during the slave times um slave owners would uh engage in sexual acts with their slaves and have children out of wedlock 
and these children would still be viewed as slaves today um and in that same breath they would also you know have you know sex sexual relations with all slaves were you know whether it was male or female were very common in the slave days um and i think that kendrick lamar uses the sexuality and a sexually explicit language in this album as a mechanism to try to in a sense uh release that bondage of what it means to be a policed body in the world um i think it allows him to explore the sexual nature of human beings and black people in general while at the same time bringing a commentary to the aspect that black people are in a sense still policed whether it's sexually physically mentally or emotionally i think that there are multiple layers to it and i think that uh the album itself does a really good job of exploring those different layers and how the policing of black bodies exists uh in the united states today so i've got a question as kind of a follow-up i guess what i find myself with is like needing uh needing a translator at times <laughs> um, because i think he does such a good job building imagery that I, that I don't always catch the uh, the double meaning. Mm. And so um, I guess my question is is kind of this, like for, for, for you as a black man who kind of grew up in that context and that culture, does that allow you to not need the translation? Um, is it just my white ignorance that, that, uh, that acts as a barrier then? And then, so then I guess my, <laughs> My follow-up to that is if that's true, then like, is this music really for the black community and not as a wake-up call to those of us who come from privilege and power? Um, or is it both? Is it is it possible that it can be for both? And that's a whole lot. I don't know. Answer whatever you want from no, that. I'm gonna answer look, I'm gonna answer every single aspect of that question you had. I'm gonna answer all of that because that's actually a great question to ask. Um I don't think it's your white ignorance. Um I think that it is the aspect of not experiencing certain things that other people may have experienced. And maybe because you haven't experienced those things, it's a little bit more difficult difficult to navigate the subject matter. Yeah. But I, I think that as a whole, no, I don't think it's your white ignorance that, you know, because um, you guys are, you guys both are very, very, very well, like woke individuals, right? Um, Mr. Ben, I know you from Penn State, you know, mm -hmm. you were a great guy with, you know, what you did with the church and trying to help people out and things of that nature. You know, you were at protests with me when right. the Black Lives right. Matter was a big thing, right? So, you know, I get it. Um, Mr. Mike, I may not know you as well, but still, like, I'm assuming based on, you know, based on your interaction, you know, you, you've yeah. got to be a, a great guy yourself. Um, Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, I think that the, the certain experiences that I've experienced as a Black man, um, and you guys may have experienced similar things, but um, I think the certain experiences I've experienced as a Black man allow me to navigate the subject material just a little bit differently yeah. because um, I have those experiences. Um, like I've said before, my dad grew up in Detroit. My mom grew up in New York. Um, my mom grew up during the 60s. So like my mom was around that time when a lot of racial tension was happening during around the time integration was going on and things of that nature. Um, same thing with my dad. My dad grew up more so in the 70s because my dad was born in the latter part of the 60s, but my dad grew up in the 70s. And, um, you know, I think that growing up for me, they helped me see like the dynamic in which they existed and how it was different, but it was also still the same kind of in how I exist today. Um, 
for example, like black kids, I think I remember reading a statistic somewhere and, and I may be wrong the statistic, but black kids are are 20% more likely to be expelled from a school than a white, than, than any other race, um, regardless of who they are. Uh, they are 20% more likely to be expelled from a school. I think that that prison and pipeline subject matter is big because I think that we can all understand that that is a problem, like the educational systems and aspects of how black children are affected by the educational system are a lot different, are vastly different compared to other races. Um, they all might have, we might have similar, you know, experiences, but I think that the general experiences are that black kids are put in this box in which they are expected to overachieve much more than everybody else, or they are expected to kind of downfall and kind of end up on the street or in jail and things of that nature. I think that Kendrick Lamar does a good job of making this an album for black people and also for people who are not black as well. Um, mm. I think that it serves as a teeter-tottering kind of uh, middleweight balance, much like the Lady of Justice has like the balancing act going on. I think it's a something like that in that regards because on one hand, there are going to be instances where the album is used as a mechanism for black empowerment you know aspects of like you know this is black people like you know this is what we're in. like you know this is the the culture that exists around us because i think collectively as black folks we all kind of experience similar things um yeah. a big example for me would be uh gun violence right so like and like the aspect of you know uh protesting against police brutality right there's that juxtaposition right like big question would be like you know well well big question for black people in general that I that you know I remember getting a lot uh not just at Penn State but just in life in general was you know like well how are you guys going to protest against police brutality but then you know you've got you know people in Chicago being killed every single day um I think that in regards to a situation like that and I think that in regards to Kendrick Lamar's album he does a good example of addressing both those issues in that um as black folks like we do protest those things like we do go after those things we do want people to understand that like killing your own is not okay but in that same breath we can also protest against an unjust system that has been built from the ground up literally to look at us as insignificant as like less than a person i think people seem to forget that the constitution made it okay for a black person to be considered three-fifths of a person like we weren't even we were barely barely considered half of a person for 200 years in the united states and even after the, the the ratification of the 13th amendment we were still looked at as just property um black people make up a somewhere i think it's like roughly like 60 to like maybe like 70 percent of like the prison population there's over i think 3 million prisoners in the united states but we only make up 13 percent of the population well all of that is a result of institutional racism which kendrick lamar talks about in this album he discusses these things in his album he brings focus to these institutional issues that exist out there, such as the discrepancy in how often black children graduate versus other races and things of that nature, yeah. or that, uh, or the discrepancy between like the amount of black people who live in the quote unquote hood uh, versus those who don't. Oh, well, why don't y'all, you know, you guys have to work for yourselves and try to get out of that. Well, that would be nice, but in the grand scheme of things, black people in these run in these, you know, urban centers and in the hoods, quote unquote, they still suffer from the traumatic experiences of the crack epidemic. Like it's hard to build up your communities when you're still experiencing parts of a of a of a literally literally a racist policy built around the subjugating of black people to a lower standard. Like I said before, like you know, the United States government wasn't pushing crack in in the, in, in the suburbs. Like crack was being pushed right. in the hood. And essentially, the same drug, cocaine, was. Uh 
was uh, criminalized in a very different way because it was predominantly used by white people. What I appreciate most about this album is that, like the cover, uh, there's a sort of sur surface level that if you just sort of quickly go through these songs, you, you don't get the full picture. But if you if you take even five minutes to like hear him talk about the creation or click through some of the articles or, or even just click on the uh, Wikipedia page for it, you get to this like this other layer um, I was I was actually listening to this while I was doing the dishes one night and my wife came in the room knowing that I don't usually have rap or hip hop on and was like, what are you listening to? <laughs> and uh, and I was like, OK, well, like I, I clipped, clicked back to the beginning, Wesley's theory. Right. And it's, uh, it, you know, I think um, for those of us who try not to use the N word in any kind of context, that like opening catchy tune comes on and you're like, oh, this is cool. And then wait, what is he singing? And, uh, and uh, you know, it's a poll from a um, uh, song from the late 70s. But you start to, to hear this, like, setting the stage for an album that's talking about um, the jump from slavery to, uh, to celebrity and that there's no middle ground. That, like, in this country still, you're either a slave or a star. And, uh, and she's like, wait, that's, that's what you're hearing here. And I'm like, yeah, let, let's get into this next one here. And like, we go through and we're talking about like, um, you know, King Kunta and the, the ties to roots. And then we get to all right. And how it was like, it becomes this protest March, uh, anthem for, for young black people against police brutality. And she's like, this is incredible. <laughs> but I think had she just like walked through the kitchen, right? Like she would have assumed that she knew what she was listening to based on the sound. She may have caught some of the lyrics that she and I find offensive and be like, just turn it off and like totally missed the whole story. And that complexity, like I think points to its brilliance, but it's so, it requires a lot of you to, to get there, I guess, especially if you did not, especially if you don't have maybe the language to understand what's going on or the experience like you're talking about, Daryl, like just growing up black, I think gives you um, a capacity to understand some of this in ways that, that Mike and I just don't get at very first uh, listen. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's unlike really anything that I've ever had to tackle before, uh, especially on this podcast, but, but in music in general, I think. So that was long and rambly. No, no, no. That's cool. That's that's we we love the Lauren and Rambly stuff because that that, <laughs> that means you know it's from the heart. It's it's yeah. uh, it's a very uh, it's a very open and vulnerable kind of aspect of discussing something mm -hmm. that you know you you guys may or may not be you know as versed in. Um, sure. It just uh, I think that it definitely helps to put more into context for me. Just you know wanting to try to tackle every aspect of this album as a whole so that way you know not just you know you guys can get a better understanding but you mm -hmm. know anybody who may listen to you guys's great podcast it opens a dialogue of openness for between individuals that we don't normally get um i think mm -hmm. that you guys are very receptive to things that i'm going to be the things that we're going to be talking about as a whole um whether or not if they make you uncomfortable or not and i think that it's cool that you know you guys these things around your families and they can interact with you in a way that you know i don't normally get to see people interact with. i think that that's great i think that that's awesome mm -hmm. um, and i love that i 
do still find myself, and we talked about this a little bit with Kanye's album, because of the language, uh, the sort of gratuitous, uh, over-the-top shock value at times, I, I think there's a big portion of people who are just going to dismiss this before they even dive in. And I, I don't know what to do with that, because like I want people to engage what he's talking about. I want them to like sit up and take notice and like, and don't just click, um, click through to the next track or the next album uh like sit with it and let it make you uncomfortable because i think that's important but but i guess that's the challenge of any art right like you you can walk through an art gallery you know print um or or paint or um, other visual mediums and choose whether or not to stop and really get into a particular piece of art or if you don't like it you can very quickly move on and and sort of maybe miss something i think the justice part of me like wants wants to force everyone to like <laughs> like take this seriously like listen <laughs> because he's preaching right now like this is like there's a message there that you gotta you gotta listen to you have to sit through music that makes you uncomfortable i think you have to sit through certain subject matter that's going to make you you know a little you know a little cringy you're gonna make your you know you you kind of tighten up like ooh, like i don't like that um <laughs> yeah but i think that it's important that people listen to the album as a whole and listen through it and listen to the lyrics because there are certain things in there that are important for people to understand um i'll throw out a big lyric right and it's probably my favorite lyric on the entire track is um in wesley's theory kendrick lamar says when i get signed homie i'm gonna buy a strap straight from the cia set it on my lap take a few m16s to the hood drop them all off on the block what's good and for me i think that you have to hear lines like that because that's stuff that really happened that's stuff mm -hmm. that really exists um i think that that line in particular is a big reference to um a book and a movie that came out um in the 70s uh, i forget the dude's name uh, it'll come to me eventually but it was called the spook who sat by the door and it's one of my favorite films of all time um, and it's basically about this black guy, the first black person who ever gets into the CIA, and he takes everything he learns back to the ghettos of America during the, the crack epidemic, into the Richard Nixon uh, presidency, and he basically teaches, you know, kids in the ghettos how to fight that guerrilla style against the United States government. Um, mm. It was banned, actually. The movie was banned in the 70s. Uh, because the United States government actually thought that black people would watch this movie and incite riots and rise up against the United States government. <laughs> but I think that that stuff like that is important. Hearing lyrics like that is important because it 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 helps put into context some of the things that black people are being are victims of. Right. Um, you talk to a lot of black folks who are from these urban city ghettos, you know, they'll tell you like back in, you know, back in the days, like, of, like, you know, first around when the crack epidemic did happen and the war on drugs began, the United States government was putting guns, we're dropping weapons into these ghettos so that people would have more weapons. Yeah. Even with the justice system as a whole, like those, all those guns they confiscate, where do you think they go? They go back somewhere and they, they usually go back into these ghettos where they're recycled and used, like where black people use them against each other. Um, I think that that is big and that is uh, an important aspect of the album to consider and just the album as a whole is that you have to be ready for certain subject material that you're going to have to look up. You're going to have to try to understand the context of what this means and you're going to have to be uncomfortable when listening to 
an album that a lot of black people are going to be like collectively experienced as a whole. I think that people shouldn't shy away from the subject matter. I think that people should be ready for certain things that they're going to hear. I think they should be receptive to the very vulgar and over-the-top shock value language I just mentioned because I think that all of that is a necessary aspect of trying to get the point across of the U.S. hasn't been very good to black people regardless of what laws are passed that may or may not seem like they're for black people. Um, for example, I'll give, you, I'll give you guys a good example. Uh, affirmative action, people like to use affirmative action as their crux for like, well, black people are on the same level playing field. But do you know who's the biggest receiver of affirmative action? White women. You, most people don't know that. People at Penn State didn't know that. Like when I would, be, would sit in my racial studies classes, there were white kids who didn't know stuff like that. You know, they thought that affirmative action was, uh, you know, oh, this is for black people and Hispanic people to get into school easier. Well, no, it's actually it was actually meant like, you know, it was it was meant for them. But white women use it the most. White women get the most affirmative action success. And I think that um, your listeners and just listeners in general, regardless of who you are, have to be receptive to this album because this album is a very open book in terms of like what kind of things black folks have dealt with and deal with in the traumatic 400 years of existence that we have had as African-Americans in the United States. Um, whether it was slavery or whether it was not being allowed to fight it next to white counterparts in the military, whether it was the aspect of um, the first women contraceptives being produced by this, by, you know, experimenting on slaves or radiation experiments conducted on black folks as in general or the Tuskegee syphilis experiment you know all of these things are important things to consider and important things that you that you have to be receptive and ready to deal with because they are all parts of the black experience on this album yeah. um, I think that it, this album forces people and exposes things to people that's going that are going to make them very uncomfortable and it forces people to kind of understand the context in which your fellow man has um endured certain things that you would never ever even know about the first listen through i i kind of i tried not to engage the lyrics too much just because there, there's so much and and you're right there's so much that you definitely have to look up because he makes just a, a ton of references to a lot of things but listening to it again trying to engage the lyrics more but it it is there's there's a lot like it's, it's a lot it's a lot of lyrics uh <laughs> And I found that to be, I think, one of the biggest challenges for me listening to it. It's just, again, again, not about the content necessarily, but just the amount. And I'm, I'm a person who, Ben and I are similar. Like, I don't listen to the lyrics first when I listen to music. Usually I get the feeling and the sounds and, and I'm a bit of a music nerd. So here's some of the musical aspects. Uh, and then I'll come back and try and engage them and dig into them a bit. Um, and this was like... I felt like I needed to take a course first <laughs> to understand, to try and understand it. Um, but the great thing about it is like, there is so much here for you to unpack and to explore and open up. It's like, you know, just walking, walking around a, a field full of, full of boulders and there's a treasure under every one. you know, you can keep, <laughs> keep turning them over. You know, you, you're probably doing the same, still finding new little gems as you listen to it. Like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that line before in that context because it's just just packed you know we talk about a lot of rock songs have two or three verses in a chorus maybe a bridge and, and a lot of his have whew, like three four five like big verses with a lot of words so i find that impressive challenging but in a good way 
Not, not that it took away from it. It just, it was, felt like a lot. Like, I feel like, really, I want to spend like two or three more weeks listening to this solid before I feel <laughs> I can really, really weigh in on the lyrical content. You know, which is... Which is why, which is why we got you here, Daryl. Because <laughs> you spent so a lot. We of time don't with have it. to do the work. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I mean, man, we've talked about music that is challenging to listen to, and then that, yeah. that's not necessarily a negative comment. Um, in fact, I think it's a very positive. I think about your wife Nora saying, like, she can't sit down and listen to uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue, one of her favorite albums, unless she's like investing herself in the emotional journey that it's going to take her on because it she right. knows that it's going to like bring up this deep emotion that that at times is going to make her really sad as times it's going to make her really loving or, or you know it, it's it's doing a whole lot and i think that's right. the same sort of vibe i get from this that like if i go back to it it's not because it's like a sunny day and i'm cruising in my car and i just want something fun to listen to right like i'm gonna have to like go and say, okay, you know what? I have not been thinking enough about the uh, white supremacy of this nation. And so let, let me put this album back on and be reminded of um, what a poet is telling us about, about our white supremacy. And um, wow. I, I think that says something about the requirement that this album has. And, and I think, you know, that it helps to have someone along for the ride to, to like be helping you understand some of that, too. Like, I, um, yeah, I keep going back to that piece of it as well, that so much is lost if you just treat this as any other sort of um, studio produced piece of piece of music. The, the one thing I realized as soon as the first track started and, and this is this album's five years old. OK, but I put it on and I was like, man, I have no idea what rap and hip-hop sounds like today i am so <laughs> yeah me too. i'm so out of the loop i've turned it on i was like man this is what hip-hop is like now this is very different than <laughs> the the stuff i was getting exposed to like in the 90s yeah. and into the 2000s and even you know we listened to kanye which was five years before this even that i i could feel more connections to yeah. it even though it was different and it's not what i listened to but you know uh, and even though there's not, I didn't know any hits on that one, but felt a little more connected to kind of what I was used to into the 2000s yeah. of what, you know, some of the really, real like I'm talking really mainstream hip hop that, that would have made its way up here and into my listening sphere. Yep. <laughs> uh, this was like, just like, I am not in touch with this music at all. <laughs> this is not what I expected. I had no idea that it sounds like this now, which was, again, was like very exciting, but it was like, oh, boy, you're, you're in deep water now. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's way more, I mean, Kanye too, but this, like, it's way more electronic. Uh, so much jazz on this album. Yeah. Sorry, I, I yelled. No, I was, no, like, I was like, <laughs> so, so much. And, and I love jazz music. Um, and I listened to a lot of jazz radio, or I, or I did for, for like probably 10 years of my life, listen to jazz radio all the time. Wow, I've listened to this music. And I know that's not uncommon in hip hop. And I know that that's even from all the way from the 80s all the way through. But I feel like it went away for a while, it wasn't used as much. Uh, but this was like very, very a lot of jazz music uh, behind even the you know the first interlude uh, for free, um, and it's all just a jazz track behind it. And I was like, okay, that's 
I was like, is that a one-off? And then I hear it throughout the album. <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking through the notes and I'm recognizing names. Like, I know James Glasper. I've listened to his stuff. I know Kamazi Washington is a, a horn player. Like, I know some of these names. I'm like, okay. Uh, and it's just added this, like, element to it. And it made me wonder, thinking about Kendrick Lamar as a, as a musician and a, and a producer, I think we think of a lot of rappers as lyricists and poets. But... You know, there's a, this other side of it, and I'm curious. I don't know if you can, we can drop this, but if you have any insight on that, as uh, Daryl or Ben on Lamar's uh, kind of musical influence on on the the music that he creates. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, with this album in particular, he incorporates a lot of like jazz and funk and soul, yeah. just very, yes. very, um, and spoken word too. Just a lot of very. Oh, yeah. uh, very black elements i guess of music that mm-hmm. would be considered like black you know obviously they had their white influencers and other influencers as well but i generally think that um these elements that he used in the context of the album whether it's jazz or funk or soul or you know just that very poetic form of hip-hop versus you know the typical things of, that we've seen over the past few years um i think that that allows him to kind of expand the way in which he can approach certain subject matter. Um, I think it offers a contrast and a duality um, while at the same time, a contradiction in between like the subject matter and the, and like, you know, the things that he's talking about, Mm. like for sale is like that, right. Where, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's got this very melodic and very jazzy kind of beat and backdrop going on. But the, but the subject material he's talking about is the aspect of Black people being literally pimped by the United States government. Um, yeah. That money is, a, is, in a sense, the root of all evil, or, you know, the pursuit of money is the root of all evil, and Black people have been at the tail end of that because we have been the victims of capitalism as a whole. Um, I think that his usage of these different elements allows him as, a, as an artist to present two contrasting ideas but making them similar um in a way uh like i said for example you know going back to for sale because this is probably one of my favorite interludes of any of any one of one of my favorite interludes of any rap album ever um just because of the 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 way that like the way the song feels the way the track feels to me um it's a very like i said it's a very melodic very kind of like soft ideal in the regards of like the kind of beat that he's using and the kind of like you know you kind of start with the choir but it transitions into heavy breathing too yeah right? like it sets a really interesting landscape uh, of sounds uh and then you get into kind of like smooth jazz <laughs> before the before anyone ever says anything <laughs> yeah and and you're listening to this track go and go and go and his yeah. voice on the track sounds like you know it, it it sounds very in tune with the track but then you listen to the lyrics yeah. And you're like, holy, shit, these lyrics do not match this. Like, yep. they don't yep. fit with this beat, but in a sense, they do because they flow with the rest of the album. It's a very disjointed and like confusing context that exists within the the concept of this album. But for me, like for this track especially, um, it presents also like a very like waveform, like a very fluid movement between two contrasting things or two contradicting things that also kind of intertwine together to kind of create the the message of what he's trying to get across as a whole this album represents a very unique 
co-mingling of a multitude of different black elements um that don't necessarily all agree with, with each other if they were used independently but the way that they're used on this album they all fit with each other they all mesh with each other in a way that i don't think a lot of rappers can recreate that same feeling that exists on this album mm. i think that this album represents a very existential approach to the black experience because it shows that the black experience uh what it means to be a black person in america and what it means to experience these different things that exist out there that are considered to be black culture they all contrast but all fit with each other mm. um like the aspect of pro protesting police brutality but also protesting the aspect that you know uh in in intra racial violence is more common than interracial violence so like a big thing would be you know people like to use the, the the crux of well you know black people kill black people all the time well white right. people kill white people all the time and hispanic kill hispanics all the time it's not ever about race it's all you know in in the context of who's killing who in their communities because that doesn't make any sense why that like why you would bring that point up because in the grand scheme of things like 84 percent of white people commit crimes against other white people it's all about proximity and because right. Pe right. when you're in a situation where you are placed in the close proximity in which kendrick lamar explains in this album and goes on in this album when you're in that close proximity to other people crimes are going to be committed and that represents that conflict between in the black experience of like well how do you put how do you protest police brutality but also like protest against people killing each other in your own neighborhoods well, because that happens because as a result of things that have happened before us, before us, you know, the traumatic experience that existed uh, as a result of getting to where we are now with the war on drugs and slavery and Jim Crow and things of that nature. Um, I think that Kendrick Lamar weaves together all of these very intricate and discomforting details about the black experience, but also the very like enticing things about it as well such as, you know, spending money on the gold and spending money on the cars and the clothes and the chains and things of that nature. He juxtaposes these against each other, showing like, this is where we were and this is where we are now. But he also intermingles them at the same time, making it as a result of, yeah, we've gotten from this and yeah, we've gotten to this, but we're also still experiencing this mm -hmm. um, regardless of what, where you exist at in the hierarchy mm -hmm. of capitalism. Until I, came home. I find this album's usage of just the different kinds of beats that you hear, like the very fast paced beat of like Wesley's theory juxtaposed against that of the, the very, the very soft, very sensual feeling you get from, you know, these walls. Um, I think that he does a good job of juxtaposing a lot of different variables that exist simultaneously at one time within the context of the black experience. Yeah. There's a whole lot of references to other moments in uh, in the black music world too, right? Like mm -hmm. peppered throughout, um, our, oh, yeah. not just in sampling as is you know normally the case, but but lines in a lot of tracks are borrowed directly from artists, and I think that's really interesting too to like be creating something about uh, you know the the lived experience of being black in America. And also paying tribute at the same time to people who've come before you trying to do the same thing. Um, kind of, it's a really interesting like tie to your history um, while, while you're speaking sort of new prophetic words into it. Um, I really appreciate that. I think that he is able to pay a lot of homage and a lot of, you know, kudos to the individuals who existed before him and the ones who helped, you know, 
create rap and get hip hop yep. to the you know the place where it's at now with uh the dynamics in which that existed before him and the ones that he grew up with um because Kendrick Lamar is not that much older than you know me yep. um you know right. so you know it's it's, it's and, you know, granted, I didn't grow up in Compton, but, um, you know, I grew up understanding that he, like, the things that he experienced were things that my parents experienced before me. Um, and things that, you know, my cousins and, uh, and, and people that I know have experienced as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the Black experience is, is very universal. Maybe not the same between everybody, but it's very consistent amongst a lot of black people. And I think that that's important to acknowledge, particularly with this yeah. album, is that the black experience, while it may not be universal for everybody, and it may not, there are always gonna be outliers who can be like, oh, I've never experienced anything like that. I think that black people as a whole, generally within America, experience a lot of similar things and have experienced a lot of similar things, uh, whether they're good or bad. I think he just yeah. does a really good job of approaching that existential crisis of being a black person in America very well within the context of this album. The other day I wanted to share some of this music with my with my son and I was and he's 10 and he's pretty funny. And I usually share the music like when we're doing this. Daryl, we've listened to all sorts of music doing this project. <laughs> and um I was like, "Huh, what track do I play him?" And I was like, "No, can't play that one. Can't do that one." Oh, definitely can't do that one. <laughs> I was like, I can't play him any of this music. Now, Ben, you said that you had a, like a censored version. And I was like, yeah. well, what does that even sound like? My And I was joking with my wife about, you know, we got to make a kid's bop version of Pimp Butterfly. <laughs> 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 it's just like, how do you do that? But I shared a bit of it with my wife because I was like, you know, if you listen to this, she's like, uh, not really. And so... She was, I could see her eyes kind of lighting up as she was listening to it because she's, you know, I think she's like your wife, Ben, you know, she'll, she'll give it a chance and is open to engaging with it, which right. I think is so fortunate to have someone who will do that with me. But she was like, this sounds really compelling. She, and she looked at me, she's like, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot, but it's, it's important. Like, it's really important. Oh, one thing we haven't talked about yet which I love is the uh, the spoken word through line through the whole album. And I've never heard this done where he reveals it little by little and in such a clever way that the last line, so the new part that he's revealed, leads into the next track. And then when you get to the end of track 15, um, he reveals the whole piece. I've never heard that done before. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, have you heard this done in anything before? Number one and number two, you know, would, would you comment on... Because this is like, this is what makes this really um, a hip-hop uh, concept album. Like, the, it ties all the themes together and he keeps coming back to the same. And I found it so unique that he starts that spoken word over again every time. So he goes through from the beginning again. You it changes the story every time because you get a new piece to the narrative. Uh, it was fascinating and very clever. There's still parts of it that I don't understand totally, right. uh, which is, which is okay. Like I'm okay. That's okay. But, uh, really compelling and clever. I personally, um, find the spoken word part to be, uh, 
one of the best pieces of rap poetry um, that exists out there right now. Um, right. That, that'll probably ever exist. Kendrick Lamar's subtle including of it and the random kind of cutoffs that you get at the end of certain tracks mm -hmm. creates this atmosphere of like, oh my gosh, what's he going to say next? Um, what's the next part? Um, yeah. I forget which uh, which track it is. I don't remember which one it is off the top of my head. I'd have to, you know, go back and listen through all of them again. But there's one track in specific, I think it's you, where it randomly just cuts off. Um, mm -hmm. And then the next track is all right. Um, and it, and it, it transitions into this next track. And you're like, you're like, whoa, like that transition is crazy. Um, and I think that <laughs> for me, it adds more uncertainty to that album, but it keep, it forces you to make you want to listen more because you yeah. want to know what he's going to say. You want to know what is this little piece that he's saying at the end of all these tracks? Why is he adding little pieces to it? What's the end all be all to it? Like, what are you going to say at the end of it all? What are you going to discuss? What are you going to tell us? Um, and I think that the spoken word piece is used as a mechanism to generally sum up the sentiments of the album. I think that it is used as a mechanism to sort of justify the conflicting experience of being a black man in America um, with that aspect of wanting to generally distance yourself from the traumatic experience you experience as a black person, but and to also try to never ever sell your soul, essentially in a sense, to those people that exist in the realm of trying to subjugate you to a standard of you have to work for me. Um, I think that that is a big conflictual piece in the album as a whole is that conflict between, you know, wanting the money and the gold and the car and the jewels and the jewelry and all of those things of that nature, but also not wanting to sell yourself or sell your soul to the, to the, to the white man, to the capitalist, to the capitalist system that exists above us because you know that that system has never been for you as a black person, regardless of what kind of state, you know, um, you live in as a black person. Like for, I'll give you an example, right? It's always funny whenever I hear people talk about, oh, Jay-Z's and the Illuminati. Um, I find shit like things like that to be funny, um, you know, and, 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 and reference, and this is all referencing, you know, this is all like connecting back to Kendrick Lamar's album. I find things like that to be funny because I was like, you really think they're letting a black man into the Illuminati if the Illuminati, if, you know, <laughs> if these, if these, these, these really wealthy individuals who run everything around, you really think there's a black person in that? No, there's no way. Like, it's absolutely not. Like, they still, like, black people still experience semblances of slavery and semblances of uh you know racist institutional policies all over the united states still to this day they're not letting black people into the the most secretive or powerful group in the world like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever but referencing back to kendrick lamar's album there's that conflict right there's that conflict of you don't want to sell yourself to the to the white man but you do want that money um, and I think that as black people, we are oftentimes a victim of that, uh, mm. that aspect of wanting to pursue the money and the cars and, and everything else and just being successful and what success means to us as a people, while at the same time avoiding becoming victims of our own slave mentality that exists as a result of the traumatic experiences the black experience encompasses. It's kind of autobiographical too, right? Like he's sort of sharing yeah. the the pitfalls he's fallen into and the mm -hmm. ways he's tried to, to get out of them as well. Like he he understands the system because the system has done this to him. And I think that that layers just makes the whole thing so much more powerful that it's autobiographical and not just someone like 
like gather around this is a story i heard but no this is like this is my story like i said before i i find this piece of work to be a a much more important piece of work piece of art in terms of musical creativity uh like we discussed last week kanye's album would be will always be one of the greatest albums in terms of just its cinematic masterpiece and how it exists in the world um i think that to pip a butterfly holds a heavier weight in my heart because it was dropped at a time aside from kanye's album when it was dropped at that very uh crucial part in you know my early life i think that this album as a whole has a little bit more weight than that because it represents an album that explores various aspects of blackness that haven't or weren't really explored the way we want the way they should have been explored at a time when we needed it um but yeah. black people as a whole kind of needed something like that was very like open and vulnerable with some of the things that we may or may not experience in, as a collective uh in the united states do you guys want to talk about yams yeah. <laughs> i want you to talk about yams <laughs> I think that if there's a song that a casual listener has heard, it's probably King Kunta. It's got, uh, it's closing in on 400 million listens on Spotify. So it's, it's definitely got some, some popularity. There's this like pause moment in the, in the song. What's the yams? I found it like, compelling enough that I went and did my own look into like what is he talking about here um, not just taking him for face value that the yam is the power that be which you know maybe is one of the answers but um, he he liked this imagery because yams are a part of soul food so there's like this black pride and authenticity here in this country but they also are um you know, a holdover, I guess, from the motherland that you've mentioned already, Daryl. The the yam in certain African contexts is like the symbol of wealth and power. If you have a bad year and your crop doesn't come in, you're poor. And if you if you like strike it rich and you have all the yams, you've got all the power. <laughs> or at least you've got the protection of that food can provide. But there's this other like colloquialism, I guess, that it's it's uh a placeholder for things that can drag you down and uh and yams are temptation when you've got that sort of wealth and power tie as well so like just, I, I i guess i just lift that up because that's one lyric one very very short lyric in one song in this album but it like the more you dig the more the more you realize like oh my goodness he's not just using this as a throwaway line there's like calculated thought about how much that one phrase is going to mean and i mean i think that i i just think that's a symbol of like the the depth of the artistry here that i find really really compelling yeah no i agree um yams has a uh, kendrick lamar is able to create the dynamic around yams and that it represents um you know a couple of uh, a couple of different things it represents yeah. that that southern authenticity you know with yams yams are a big southern thing right um but it also represents, you know, as you said, uh, the aspect of wealth. Um, you know, the Igbo people, there's a story, I'm trying to remember what the story's called, and it come to me in a second. Um, things fall apart. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, 
basically, you know, the, the, the Igbo people, the, a man's wealth is measured, you know, like you said, by, you know, if, if he gets a good crop to come in. Um, I think that Yams in the context of the King Kunta track represents that movement from being a slave to being a king. And it allows him to kind of maneuver in a way around multiple different meanings of one word um, and use that as a crux to kind of make the track hit a little bit differently with these multiple different meanings that multi like you know different forms of people can recognize and be like oh you know like i, yeah. I get where it you know this it could mean this but it could also mean this and i find i find kendrick lamar's double entendres triple entendres whatever you want to call them is, <laughs> is quadruple meanings that exist within his songs because he's a very kendrick lamar's very been, always been very good with using double meanings for tracks and double meanings in his yeah. lyrics whether it was on section 80 or of a butterfly or you know uh the untitled album that came out good kid mad city thing anything you know he's always been really good with using a lot of double meanings in his songs um i think that king kunta would have to be probably his best version of using multiple different meanings for one word all in the context of one track and you know who doesn't like yams yams are delicious <laughs> you know you guys if you guys ever if, once this pandemic is over you know maybe next year for Thanksgiving, you guys, you know, you guys can come to my house and, you know, I'll just let you guys try some, some of my, like, you know, my Duke's, you know, my Duke's push yams. So, you know, I'll let you guys have well, some of her yams. Yeah. And I guess, technically speaking, you grew up south of the Mason-Dixon line there in Virginia, too. So you, you got legitimate yams there. Not just yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I'm down in Miami right now, but, you know, like, uh, you know, we ever, you know, ever, whenever I go back home, um, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, you come on through and dinner's always delicious so you guys will love it daryl i'm assuming you know all the videos from this album but i'm curious mike did you go through any of the the videos oh. no i i didn't i didn't even think about doing that um is it uh which which song is it that he is like kind of walking on air flying through it uh through the whole thing all right that's all right. Yeah, and he gets shot about, and he gets shot by the cop at the end. That's right. Uh, yeah, after landing on the the street light. That's right. There's some like incredible stuff. Um, King Kuta's fine, but it strikes me as more of just like a typical what you'd see on MTV kind of kind of video. But uh, but all right, just has this like I don't know otherworldly kind of feel to it with him kind of floating at times, walking on air, like balancing on street light and things like that. Man, it's it's incredible. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think that he uses the the imagery of him floating around uh, as a as a way to show the movement between being a regular black person and a slave, for example, and then mm -hmm. being rich. Uh, I think that it shows that aspect of walking on water, kind of in a sense. Yeah, that spiritual movement. It is a, uh, if you listen to the subject material of the song, like it's a very, you know, kind of in your face kind of, we're going to be all right, you know, like, you know, despite all the, all the things we may or may not go through, you know, everything is going to be okay, you know, and just exploring the different elements that we've already discussed about, you know, as a whole in the context of this, uh, this recording, I think that, uh, all right. And it's video do a very good job of giving the viewers and the listeners a, comprehensive idea of what you can as a whole expect from this album whether you yeah. get the album and understand it at face value for what it is or unless you know you're an individual who is kind of like 
slowly going through it, trying to understand the the, the, the the different mechanisms and the different kinds of subject matter, you know, uh, presented in the album. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that All Right has a different transcendental feeling in the world because of the context of like how it was used in the world and not just in the album as itself but like how it was used by the black lives matter movement as like a rallying cry kind yeah. of you know during those a lot of those protests uh in those years in which the song did first come out i mean the 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 album did first come out the ending of it as the the video i think the ending of the video is kind of what strikes me the most with the cops shooting the shooting kendrick lamar off the street light um, i think that that struck me the most um as a whole for that video and i think that's the most powerful scene as a whole for the album uh because like i said before it shows that regardless of whether you are rich or poor as a black person you will always be a target um we see it happen all the time with football players and basketball players being pulled over and being you know abused by police or that weird question that me as a as a, as a regular everyday black person i've received you know getting on airplanes Mm-hmm. I think that a, a random profound moment I can think of is one day I got on an airplane and this white lady and her her white husband, you know, they they asked me, you know, oh, are you going to, you know, this place? I think, I'm pretty sure I was flying back to D.C. Um, from Miami, but um, they asked me, you know, oh, are you going for business? And in my head, you know, like it was it, it was weird being asked that question, but it, it was better being asked that question as a black person because, you know, you're used to being asked a question like, oh, you know, oh, who do you play for? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and I've gotten questions like that, you know, like, oh, you know, who do you play for? Where are you going? And I'm like, I'm, I'm just I'm just going back home. Like, you know, I just, right. I'm, I'm your regular everyday black person. Um, But I think that, <laughs> yeah, I, spotted I think one that, in the wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm in my natural habitat right now. Um, <laughs> uh, But I think that that imagery at the end of it shows uh, that regardless of whether you're rich or poor, um, as a black person, you will always have a target kind of you're vulnerable. Yes. It's got it's got like a, a childish Gambino. Am I saying his name right? Uh, Gambino. Gambino. Childish Gambino. Childish Gambino's uh, "This Is America" video that's just like Oof. shook the nation. But um, it's got some similar vibes to that uh, as well, in the sort of like chilling uh, way that it finishes. And, um, it's really powerful. Daryl, I think you would help Mike and I um, by helping us understand how this stacks up compared to what else is being released in the industry right now does this feel like like way way more when when i hear it especially maybe comparing it to uh our review of kanye this feels like far more serious uh, it's got a darker tone uh, far more prophetic more justice driven um is it is it unique for the genre right now or does it feel like because we're going through um, the uh, ongoing police brutality, the Black Lives Matter movement, that more of this music is happening across the, the industry? Um, or does this still feel like very special and significant uh, and, and unusual? I believe that this album holds a little bit more weight because it, while the, black, while the issues spoken about in the album aren't new and they've been spoken about in rap before, um, there are very rare few many albums that go as in-depth as this one did um, okay. with the black experience and the black issues that may exist out there. Um, and I think that in terms of when it came out, make it very important to remember, 
um, and acknowledge because at that time, you know, like we've said before, like we discussed, the Black Lives Matter movement was really gaining a lot more steam and getting really, really big on the issues of police brutality because it was being more, you know, seen out in the world and more recorded. Yeah. So, you know, these are th like, you know, these issues that black people, that black people have been talking about for decades. Finally, there are physical pieces of evidence to back up those claims. Yeah, There are thought pieces out there that'll tell you that black people are more likely to be targeted by police. They're more likely to be shot by police. And there are people who will try to refute statistics with you. They'll try to argue back and forth with you. But at the end of the day, like, you can see the videos. Um, and then not even just black people in general, but, like, people as a whole. Like, the justice system does not treat people who are not rich very well. Um, you know, a big issue that I, I remember it being a big thing uh, for people to discuss was, you know, well, the police kill white people, too. Well, yeah. No shit. And you should be worried about that just as much as I should be worried about being <laughs> right, killed right. by police as a black person. That like, doesn't make this other violence yeah, like acceptable. Yeah, no. Like it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's okay. It just means yeah. that, hey, look, you should be worried about these issues just like I should be worried about these issues. If you see the context of, of what's going on and you see that that's a problem, your first instinct shouldn't be, well, white people are getting killed uh, by police too, or you know, Hispanic people are being killed by police too, and you don't see them rioting and protesting. Well, yeah, because the Black Lives Matter movement was never about just rioting and protesting because black people were being killed. It was rioting and protesting because the criminal justice system does the the, the population and the citizens of America who aren't above $100,000 a year or $200,000, $300,000 a year, it does them really, really grimy. And even if you do make above that amount of money, you still get kind of treated like a second class citizen. And I think that as a whole, this album does a really good job of just discussing those issues that exist out there um, for people, specifically black people, because obviously Kendrick Lamar made this as an album, not just for black people, but to educate other people. Um, but I think that as a whole, he focuses on black people because black people are the main victims of things that like this that happen. Um, Yes, there are videos out there of, of, of white people being killed by cops, and that is that is wrong, too. And people should protest and riot about that, too. I think that the, the overarching issue was never that people aren't being killed by police. It was the overarching issue that black people are being killed at an exponentially faster rate than other races are. Um, yeah. And that black people are being criminalized and institutionalized by racially racially unjust policies that affect them more than other races are the, the the subject matter that kendrick lamar approaches on this album kind of set the stages for other artists later in like you know now in these days for example to further discuss things like that um obviously kendrick lamar wasn't the first person to do it and he got his ideas from somebody else but i think that to pimp a butterfly represents the most significant aspect of somebody giving viewpoints of the black experiences that we're not used to seeing of my generation at least you know i can't really think of another rap album that was as extensive in some of the black issues and some of the things that kendrick lamar discusses in this album mm -hmm. that exist out there yeah there are references on other albums and yeah you know there, there are other rappers out there who are very, you know, conscious about the black issues that exist, like Lupe Fiasco's The Lasers and, you know, the, the Cool and things of that nature. But in that same breath, I feel like Kendrick Lamar's album um, 
with its impact in the time that it came out represents a different dynamic and a different feel. People can relate to it more because it encompasses a, a very, very universal understanding of the existential black crisis, like I've said before, that exists within the black experience. Hmm. The rappers of today, while they do explore the subject material mentioned previously in other rap albums with the black experience, I don't think that anybody has gotten close to the way Kendrick Lamar's album feels. Yep. As you know, listening, we have a playlist on Spotify, SoundLogic Favorites. We always pick two tracks uh, from each album we review. And we love it when our guests can choose those tracks. So, Daryl, you got to throw up two tracks in this album. <laughs> and should I use the uh, Kids Pop version or the... Uh, nope. The real <laughs> nope, use the real version. <laughs> I use the real because you got to hear, hear it for, for the shock value language used <laughs> and for everything else. Um, if I had to pick two tracks, probably Wesley's Theory and These Walls right. with an honorable mention to For Sale. Uh, obviously, okay. everybody's heard All Right and everybody's heard King Kunta, so I'm not going to recommend those tracks um, because, you know, like you said, it's, King Kunta's approaching 400 million, you know, listens wow. on Spotify. Wow. Wow. Because right. I feel as though those three tracks represent the most well-rounded, comprehensive ideas of what you can expect for this album. If, you, if somebody's listening to this podcast... And they don't feel like going through the album. They don't want to listen to the whole album. That you know, yeah, I don't really, yeah. you know, oh, I don't really want to listen to all, all of it. If I had to pick two tracks and tell them you should probably listen to this one too, then those three tracks would be it because I think that those three, um, well, those two with an honorable mention, I think that those round up the subject matter and the concept and the feel of the album um, as a whole. Maybe not completely, but enough where. If you were to read the lyrics and dissect the lyrics and yeah. sit down and talk to and read a, a, a dissection of the lyrics, I think that you can get the best idea about what the album is going to be about and how it is going to feel as a whole. That makes sense. Okay, Daryl, were you, before this came out, were you a big uh, Tupac fan? Yes. I listened to a lot of Pac. Um, I personally i like biggie just a little bit more but okay obviously tupac had a big uh influence on me growing up i mean he was one of those rappers that i probably listened to a little bit more than biggie um i listened to a lot more probably than biggie because i heard his songs a lot more often randomly because i know a lot of you know a lot of my you know growing up a lot of my family enjoyed a lot of his tracks um it's not a lot of right party-ish big track uh biggie tracks that uh i listened to growing up i mean aside from like party and bullshit and uh uh you know big papa and juicy and things of that nature but like <laughs> songs like for me like you know tupac growing up uh songs like uh i get around and uh california were big oh my gosh they were huge at cookouts <laughs> and family reunions so like really yes no, huh. huge at cookouts and family reunions like you were guaranteed to hear both of those tracks no matter <laughs> what but like you know like tupac is considered to be one of one of if not the greatest generally by most people he'd be, he'd be considered uh one of the greatest rap artists of all times um just in the things that he talked about his cultural significance um you know the the way he 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 you know carried himself and the things that he did as a man and as a black man in america um and how and how short his life was cut yeah tupac 
and his influence on Kendrick Lamar's, particularly in this album, can be heard vastly. And I think that, and I'm a huge, like I said, I, I love Tupac. Uh, his music is timeless. It'll always be timeless. Like I said, he's one of the greatest rap artists of all time. And I think that Kendrick Lamar's album encompasses and embodies a lot of the same things that Tupac as a black man stood for. And, you know, just wanted people to understand and to stand for as well. So what? So when you first heard it, what did you think about the interview at the end? That it fit and it rounded out the album perfectly. Yeah. It it's did. Really, it's, I found it really neat. Very profound. Yeah. Very, um, it was very heartfelt. It was very, um, it was very open. It was very raw and vulnerable. And it was a very, it was a very honest homage to probably, you know, an idol that King, like yes. Kendrick Lamar looks up to. Um, and it was a very homage, hom uh, honest homage to, uh, to just the black experience as a whole. That feeling of, you know, everything in the black experience that has happened has made us stronger as a people and its impact on us can be felt even today. Um, and that, you know, we're going to be okay despite all of the things that we have endured as a, as a race. Um, and I think that it, his album can be used as a rallying call, not just for black people, but, you know, for all people in the world uh, that experience some form of injustice that, you know... Um, no matter what you go through, everything is going to be okay. And that you just got to keep pushing on as a whole and just understand the context of how you exist in the world. I like that. Wow. Well done. <laughs> it's like a bit of a dream sequence, you know, like he's, yeah, you know, he's like eight, nine years old when Tupac dies yet, you know, he becomes obviously a, an idol, a hero, inspiration, imagining that he could have, could have had some of those conversations with him. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was, I, it, and when you said personal, like intimate, yeah, how heartfelt, like it felt, I felt like I was in on a very personal, real conversation. Yeah. Uh, and it was very organic and like it was done very well. I mm -hmm. almost feel like I read about it before I heard it. I was like, oh, I haven't got to that part yet. And I heard it and I thought it would like maybe be kind of like hokey, but no, it, 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 really well done yeah great way to end the album and then him call, calling out Pac at the end like like he's gone like his hero's gone you yeah. know and that was kind of kind of heartbreaking too <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah no I just I was just curious what you thought about it first hearing it <laughs> we've talked about a lot of things yeah <laughs> uh, we've talked about a lot of things we've touched on a lot of stuff we've talked a little bit already about how this fits in with the genre but I, I'm curious about how this album is holding up for all of us in in terms of music in general you know um when we get to this point in the episode it's always a little bit uh challenging to figure out what relevancy even means but uh more and more i'm trying to see this as like how does this album fit with the rest of sort of um modern music history and and relevancy in that sort of vein uh this is now the uh, newest album we've ever reviewed. It's only five right, years yeah. old. Um, and That's so right. relevancy might be a little bit more challenging for us to discuss because we don't have the benefit of time. It's not like when we're discussing something from the 60s where you know we've got 50 years or more to, to sort of reflect on. So maybe rather than what we usually ask, is this album still relevant? It's, it's clearly still relevant because yeah. it's just made. 
we're, um, we're still in this moment. How relevant do you think this album will be in a few decades? Um, would be a That's better a way to question. ask this question for this one. W- looking into the crystal ball, uh, what do you think <laughs> down the road? Are people still going to be holding this up? Is this the thing that's going to be playing at family cookouts and reunions? Or um, do you think it'll get dated and, and sort of like lose its credibility over time? I think that this is going to be one of those albums that uh, will hold its weight for a very long time. Um, I think that within the context of a few years, I think that a lot of people will probably maybe view this album as one of the greatest pieces of rap literature Mm. ever to be constructed. Um, Not just on its subject matter, but also on its on its feel, on the time period that it came out, um, you know, just on how it impacted the 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 dynamic of rap or the dynamic of a music genre um, and how it impacted the dynamic of like the world as a whole. Um, I think that this album is definitely going to hold its weight uh, in a few years for sure. I think that we will, that I think that at least for me, I will absolutely be playing all right. And these walls and, you know, uh, King Kunta and Wesley say, I'll be playing these at cookouts for sure. You know, with all my, (laughs) with all the homies and everybody and their kids, you know, you guys included, we're all going to be at a cookout. You need to get here. King Kuzi come on and be like, damn, I remember when we reviewed this this album. Um, and I, yeah, but I think that, you know, I absolutely do. I think that this album holds that weight. And I think that this album holds, like I said, for me at least, it holds a very significant aspect of weight in my heart um, because of the things that it talks about and just how it just encompasses a very universal and wide perspective of of of, of black people and black culture and the black experience and it, and the diaspora that it, the, the that exists of a black person, and how that affects us on a daily basis, or on a you know, or how it has affected us historically, yeah. um, and I think that when it when it's all said and done, I think that a lot of people will view this 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 piece of art as one of the greatest pieces of art that somebody could ever construct, discussing the entire dynamic that exists amongst a race of people. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of artists in rap. And even a lot of artists in music in general have been able to recreate that or even create that aspect of, hey, look, this is a universal thing that a lot of black people or a lot of people in general can kind of relate to and be like, yeah, I, I get it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that it'll, it'll definitely hold its weight for sure. I think um, for me, the big question will be, um, <clears throat> is this going to be an album because of the explicit nature that like music nerds understand and love but uh but because it's not something that kids bop is putting out um (laughs) like it will it will it ever get to that sort of like this is like a terrible measuring stick but you hear stuff by the beatles or 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 even marvin gay uh on in the grocery store right because it's it's playable in the background stevie wonder is you know everywhere including you know sitcoms and and reality tv and stuff like that um the importance of this and the message that it carries i think will always have value and i think there's going to be a segment of people who always understand its greatness the question i have in my mind is like the the sort of barrier that we've talked about a couple times about the real raw way that this artistry is being displayed I wonder what that's going to do for its longevity. 
it's painful to say that, but like I, you know, I, I know that even with the edited version on in the background, uh, I wasn't super comfortable having our 10 year old like in the <laughs> same room with that. Um, and, and so that like, you know, she already knows a lot of other music from this list because I don't feel bad playing it around her. Um, and so uh, like that, that's, that's my one hesitation. I, I, uh, I think this is going to continue to exist and be relevant for a long, long time. Um, and in fact, it reminds me a lot of what's going on in terms of it's like concept album qualities flowing from one track into the next, um, the, the sort of weightiness of the of subject matter and the scope that Kendrick's trying to tackle everything, just like Marvin Gaye was trying to tackle just about everything in the early 70s when What's Going On came out. And now we see that, at least Rolling Stone does, is the number one album of all time. And so maybe our American um, uh, squeamishness around uh, uncensored things, will that, that bar will fall and will be a lot more comfortable uh, lifting this up to say, like, look, everyone should hear this. This is important. Um, but for now, I, I wonder if, if it's just if it's up against that, like, cultural um, bias. Hmm. <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah yeah no that's yeah, no, great that's i like great. that yeah me too no i actually like really like that um i think that in uh responding back to that i think that um i think that this is not going to be an album that you should let your kids listen to actually <laughs> i think that this is going to right. be an album that you would tell your kids hey um you're 18 you now chance, you're 18 this is important you to this album <laughs> yeah. this is an important album yeah, that yeah. you should listen to i think that it is an album that is a very grown-up yeah. It is a very adult album. It is a very, because uh, it is a very open and vulnerable album. Um, it is a very, it's a very squeamish making album. Yep. Um, if you're not ready for the subject material, um, and if you don't know, the, if you can't understand the context of the subject material, it's going to make you uncomfortable. And I think that we as, a, as adults have to experience that. Yeah. And I think that yeah. we have to experience that specifically if we want to understand um, the dynamic in which we exist next to our fellow man yep as a whole there will probably never be a, a a good censored version of this album no um i don't think there's a way that you can censor some of the subject material because to censor some of the subject material would mean that you'd have to censor the whole album yep. um because some of the subject material is, is some pretty rough shit to talk about um yep. excuse my language once again but you know it's it's rough to talk about and it's rough to listen to and it's rough to try to it's rough to have to afterwards look up what you're actually listening to and try to understand the <laughs> historical context right. of what you're listening to. Right. So I don't think that there will ever be a, a, a good censored version of the album, but I think that it'll stand the test of time and stand the weight of censorship and everything else that may exist out there to kind of keep it quiet because it is a very important album for people to listen to. Hmm. Whether you're white, black, uh, yeah. Muslim, Hispanic, it does not matter. I think that it is an important album to listen to. I think that it is... A, a phenomenally profound album to listen to and i think that it holds its weight and will hold more weight amongst certain other pieces of work because of those things that existed around it and in it uh in the world as a whole at the time when it came out given all that i mean that oh that feels like maybe one of our most compelling is this album still relevant segments? But uh, given all that, what <laughs> what about the position on this list? Coming in at number 19, 
Does that feel appropriate right now? And do we anticipate it moving if Rolling Stone ever puts out another one of these lists? Uh, Mike, why don't you go ahead and start? I've been thinking a lot about this. And with the when I look at the, you know, now we're about to round out the top 20 of this new list. We've seen how different yeah. these first 20 albums are than the first 20 albums on the last version of this list eight years ago in 2012. We've seen kind of the flavor that there's a lot more uh, hip hop, a lot more representation from from people of color uh there's more women there's and it i think represents again like we said the story of the music that's being made right now uh which is so diverse even more diverse i think every year and i think it makes total sense and ben i really loved your comparison to what's going on because i hadn't really thought of that and absolutely it the 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 topics the issues it discusses the influence it's having on music and you know talking about the relevancy uh we're still in this moment yeah and and certainly with racial tensions increasing in the last few years especially in the u.s uh it's it's possibly even more relevant people are listening to this i saw some comments on some of the music like damn this was five years ago this came out this this could have been written this year uh, because it makes so much sense for what's happening in the U.S. right now. I think it makes a ton of sense at 19. Um, I think it's impressive that an album that's so new uh, is bumped up this high, but I think it it really deserves to be up this high. Uh, and like we said, um, it took us till into the 40s on the last list to get to a single hip-hop album. And now by 19, we've talked about four of them. So it makes sense for this to be here absolutely 100 uh higher i don't know if i'd have it cracked the top 10 and one of the reasons i think is because it's so recent but but i'm i'm i, I like it here i like it here and, and i think it's if there's going to be a really new album that's up in the top 20 i think this is a, this is a good choice yeah daryl what do you think what do you think about that and sometimes it's hard if you're not as familiar with the whole list but oh no it's okay i'm pretty i'm pretty familiar with the whole list Oh, Trust good. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah, no, I, yeah. no, <laughs> no, ever, ever since we ever look like ever since I got that first notification about being asked to to want to want to talk about this album, I, I looked at the entire list multiple times. Awesome. Um, cool. Right now, at least for right now, because it is a relatively newer album. Um, I think that right now uh, where it's at is OK. Uh, I think it may move a spot or two. It may it, I, at least me personally, I would put it over. I might put it over Kanye's album, um, maybe. Um, but I think that for right now, it's cool. But I do think that based on the dynamic that exists in the world right now um, and how things shift within the next few years or so, I think that it could or could not maybe get to like number maybe 15. Maybe. Um, I don't think it'll crack the top 10 because the top the, the, the top 10 album, best albums by, from Rolling Stone of all time pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty solid top 10 i i cannot yeah. you know yeah i cannot disagree with any of those albums that it has on the top 10 so i probably wouldn't you know i probably wouldn't you know put it in anywhere in the top 10 but i do think that it could bust i do think that it could break the top 15 yeah i mean last time sergeant peppers was number one and now it's like 23 so things are getting mixed up yeah uh so you never know it it strikes me that i i think um Kendrick's debut album came out right around the time when the 2012 list came out. Mm-hmm. 
I say that to sort of start to reference our next thing that we like to talk about. Um, are there any other albums on this list? You know, he was, he's still like in his, his low 30s and suddenly um, he goes from having zero because he basically didn't have any music the last yeah, they time the album was, a list was created to, to now having three albums on this top 500 list. Um, so who knows? Yeah, what, what will happen next time if there is a next time? Um, I, I like this position here at, at number 19. I'm curious if um, if we if the trend continues where less rock music and and more everything else, <laughs> I guess, especially rap and hip hop is is um, rising. What that will do for his his status, his stature, because it seems like he's he's here to stay. So um, yeah, I I think this is a good spot, and I could see it going up. Um, I referenced the three albums. Uh, to Pimp a Butterfly at 19, and then uh, at number 115 is Good Kid, Mad City. Uh, and then at 175, we have uh, Damn from 2017, which is uh, pretty close in the rearview mirror uh, in terms of yeah. uh, how recently it was out. And so um, that, those will be interesting to talk about when we get there. Anything else to add, Daryl, before we wrap it up? Anything that you want us to insert here or earlier? Um, I guess at the end of all this, I guess since we're wrapping everything up, I would just say, you know, to all the listeners that do listen to the podcast, I would definitely say um, give the album a chance. Mm, yeah. It's going to be hard. I'm going to be honest with you, 110%. <laughs> it is going to be yeah. rough. It's going to, you're, not, you're not in for an easy ride. This is not this is not Kanye's album that you can kind of sit through. Right. This is going to be a tough album to sit through and to try to understand everything that's, that, that you know he's talking about. Um, but to your listeners, I would implore them to uh, give this album a chance. Um, listen to it all the way through and do and just do your research on what he's talking about and just try to understand it and, and just understand that whatever bubble that they may exist in, whether you're black or white, and if you're not in tune with you know the things that have existed out there that don't affect you, I would say, you know, just try to understand that like this is one of those albums that's going to talk about things that affected a large swath of people that you may may or may not have ever understood really happened um a lot of the stuff that they tell you that they you know a lot of the stuff that i learned and a lot of the stuff that i know i didn't learn in school because they didn't teach that in school you know they're not going to teach you about certain things in school because they can't you know you know whether they can't or they don't want to that's neither here nor there but i implore you if you're going to listen to this podcast and if you're going to consciously want to understand the album, that you be prepared to have to do a lot of research on things um, yeah. and a lot of understanding that the very small bubble that, that the upper powers produce out there to make things seem insignificant are you got to burst that bubble and you have to be ready yeah. to be uncomfortable in the context of listening to a piece of art that is very vocal and very open and very vulnerable about things that affected and affect people today um yeah. and pe- things that affect people who don't look like you and you would never think that affected them well said well on that note dale we want to thank you so much for yeah. joining us thank one you more for time. Thank, thank you thank you for your voice your insight your passion uh <laughs> for this album yeah. uh and we really really have enjoyed this time yeah no thanks guys i like i said i I appreciate you guys having me on. I love it whenever you guys have me on. That makes me, 
it makes me happy because I do enjoy uh, I like I like music um, and whether it's you know rap or rock or or jazz or pop or anything because a lot of these albums that are on the top 100 or top 500 I could probably talk about but I do enjoy you guys having me and come on and talk about these rap and hip-hop albums because I love music I'm always listening to music um, and I just like exploring new kinds of music. A little random fact I want you guys to know is that I love classical music. So like listen, so like whenever oh, wow. I catch, yeah, no, whenever I catch a classical sample in a rap song or a hip hop <laughs> song, I'm like, I know where that's from. I've heard that before. And I'll go, you know, I have an entire playlist composed of some of my favorite pieces um, of classical music, but I love music and I love that you guys had me on and wanted me to talk about these albums with you, yeah. guys, with you guys. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. It, it really means a lot. And I, I think um, this has happened so many times in the 60, 70 albums that we've tackled. But like when Mike and I know nothing about something and we have a guest on who's absolutely passionate about it, it totally transforms how we feel about the music. And uh, that's mm -hmm. happened once sure. again. So thanks again for your voice and all that you've added to this conversation. Absolutely, fellas. It's no problem at all. Um, we've been on quite a roller coaster here with these last few albums. Uh, just a re quick refresher. At 15, we had uh, Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. 16, we had London Calling by The Clash. So we went uh, old school hip hop to new wave punk music then we went kanye's like super produced uh my beautiful dark twisted fantasy followed by um out of tune guitars on highway 61 revisited followed by uh kendrick lamar's like deeply prophetic to pimp a butterfly and then next week we're gonna take just another turn in this roller coaster um when we visit radiohead's kid a from um when we were still in high school, Mike, the year 2000, <laughs> those are five like very different albums. And uh, if you've stuck around for all five of those and have taken the time to, to get into them, we really appreciate it. Um, Kid A is also one we haven't tackled. So in the last, uh, in the last five, we've had three brand new reviews and uh, we're going to have a next one for you um, when you join us next time. So once again, we want to thank you, Daryl, for joining us. And thank you listening at home. And we hope you'll join us next time here on the SoundLogic Podcast. Take care. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.